When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 235 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mohm from washedupemo.com. Today on the podcast, we welcome back Matt Pryor. Matt is on to talk about his recently announced memoir he wrote called Red Letter Days. It is up for pre-order right now on washedupbooks.com. And if you're in the future, head on over to washedupbooks.com because it's still there and you can still get one. Matt and I discuss how he started writing, how he feels about it now, and how his adversity and stories helped him deal with a lot of things in his life, and how he's better for it. It was a really, really fun chat and open conversation about this book, the writing process, how it's different from music, and also the similarities. Really, really great chat. Quick note, we mentioned a guy named Frank early on. We were talking about Frank Turner, many of you know as the musician. He helped uh, Matt with part of the process of writing. This, for me, has been an amazing partnership with Matt. He trusted me as I dove deeper into book publishing, and he did the same by burying his soul in this book. I truly hope you enjoy this, and if you're coming back after reading and listening to this, I hope it adds to the pages you've read, or if this is your first time learning about Matt or even the book, I hope you enjoy. Either way, thanks for supporting Washed Up Emo, and learn more at washeduppbooks.com. Thank you to my Patreon supporters, my good friends at Double Elvis. Learn more at doubleelvis.com. This is episode 235 with Matt Pryor talking about his recently announced memoir, Red Letter Days. Plus years in the making from our discussion and you had thoughts about this before what are your initial thoughts that this thing that you made that wasn't music is out in the world that people can now know about and hopefully they're pre-ordering i've certainly maybe to a fault keeping my expectations in check i don't know that i have any expectations i am very proud of myself for having accomplished it and having just physically written that many words in a row and uh and and then also for doing something different um that's still a creative a creative outlet uh and i'm i think i'm i i was thinking about this when i was walking the dog i i think it's a self-defense mechanism that i i i really kind of build myself up to where like i don't actually care if anybody likes it or not which isn't totally true but that's sort of how I have to like go through life so that if they don't like it, I'm not real hurt by it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cause I've gone down that road before where I was hoping people would like something and they didn't and, uh, or didn't or whatever. And, uh, 
so I and I I think also just because it's uh, really personal and really vulnerable and really honest. So it's kind of like every time somebody like says something about it, I just go like, or somebody I know that I know is in the book that will be like, just ordered a copy. I'm just like, oh shit! I think I didn't say anything mean about them. I don't think I said anything mean about anybody, but uh, you know, you just have that kind of wave of panic. You want to tell the story about how you were starting to write? I remember when I started listening to like uh, some podcasts early on that it was just like mainly like comedians podcasts where it's just like people like telling stories about their job and it's just like, okay, well, I can do that. Like I can talk to people and I can, you know, uh, have a conversation and talk about weird tour stories and all that sort of stuff. And I think I was pretty good at that. And then I'd been listening to audiobooks on like during, during the height of COVID, I would go on like three hour long walks just to get out of the house and keep moving. And so I started listening to like audiobooks and I was listening to a bunch of memoirs, like musician memoirs specifically. And I was just kind of like, I wonder if I could do this. It seems like, you know, it, not that far off from, from, you know, I'm already a writer in some capacity. And then I, you know, I'd listened to Frank's two books. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw him, let's see, that would have been three or four years ago. And he was just like, yeah, you know, they say you got to write a thousand words every day. And I was like, okay, that's a good I can, I, I can do that. I don't know. I don't know if that takes four hours or half an hour or, or, or what, but, uh, I was just like, yeah, I'll commit to that. And so, you know, off and on over the course of the following months, that's what I did. And then I, I enjoyed it. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a terribly like, you know, tedious task. Now that some alliteration right there that was a lot of popping, some t- a tedious task to undertake. <laughs> We will, we will fix that in post, uh, in post, (laughs) but what about what was like, I just love that this other creativity that you had in you and you were hearing and you had these influences. What about that first time writing down and finishing that first snippet? I remember when you sent me like four or five of them and that might've been long after maybe you started, but do you remember that first time you kind of sat down and finished it? And then what was that feeling of, Oh my God, I like this. Uh, well, the first thing I wrote was the kind of opening chapter of of what was what was called "It's Dark Out Lately," and uh, I just had that phrase in my head, kind of like the way you do with a a song lyric. Um, and it doesn't really make any sense, but I was just kind of like, "It's dark out lately," and then I was thinking about the way you can like describe, <clears throat> you know, what it's like to do an all night drive in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and just that kind of, it's almost like a noir kind of like loneliness. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, if you're the only one driving and everyone else is asleep, then, uh, you know, you're just alone with your thoughts. So Mm -hmm. that was the first thing that I wrote. And I liked the way that I, I, I wrote it. It was really easy to write and I liked the way that it read and, you know, I was just like, okay, I'll just keep going from there. And then, you know, some days are better than others. A lot like songwriting, you know, sometimes you work really hard on something that at the end of the day, you just go, well, that was shit. And, you know, hopefully there were more of the good ones than the bad ones. That was the, that was the plan. What was your inner critic 
Because I remember our conversations. There was like days where you were like, I don't know, like, what do you think? Or I'm not into this. And then you would, you would take some time. Like you said, like almost like you had writer's block from a musician standpoint, but it was writing, but there was this doubt. Um, yeah, I never, had, I never had writer's block in that I didn't have anything to say. I did have like imposter syndrome, um, which I don't have imposter syndrome as a musician because I've just done it so much. Like I've definitely put in my 10,000 hours, um, mm -hmm. but I've just, I've never done this before. I don't know anybody in my immediate, you know, friend circle who has other than Frank, who's just kind of a you know, I don't know very well, but, uh, you know, I, it was just sort of like, it's a large undertaking to then, you know, you have to like maintain your confidence through it the whole time. That's what I was kind of getting at. Like, it was like, you have this, there's not a sound coming back to you to, to reverberate back a feeling. You just have this like either tapping or scribbling. Um, or maybe the reading back was part of that. Yeah, it's not a, it's not an audible thing at all. It's just it's just words. It's, like, it's more like writing lyrics than writing than <sighs> right, writing right, right. music. Yeah. Um, was that similar? But, yeah, I think so. Well, it's a different it's a different side of the same sort of uh, skill set. Kind of in the same way that like I found that when I do uh, like songs for hire, like my song shop stuff that that's a very different um even though it's still songwriting it's a very different muscle to <clears throat> to work than just writing stuff for myself mm -hmm. and so this was kind of the same sort of deal where it was sort of like you know this is still in the realm of being a writer in fact it's even more so being a writer than being a musician and uh but, you know, I'm still technically a writer when I'm writing songs because I'm a lyricist. And so, yeah, it was easier because you didn't have to make things rhyme. But uh, you do have to come up with multiple ways of saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. I had a when I used to work at the library, I had a boss who wrote. I don't know if I put this in. I think I may have put this in the book, but I had a boss who wrote erotic fiction as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. And he said it was really easy to write erotic fiction. All you had to do was come up with different words for penis. <laughs> so like member and throbbing and like all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, well, thanks, Ben. That's a lot of information. I really don't think I'm ever going to apply to my life. But now I did. Just not about penises. Just right. Band, person, mm -hmm. tour. Yeah. What what I really liked when I first, when you first sent them was that they had these like short story vignette and I loved that they were sort of uh, compartmentalized. They mm -hmm. had, and what was, what felt natural about that to you? And did you, did you notice that you were writing that way? Did you not know when you started that it was going to be like that? That was something I had always kind of wondered when you were working on this. Um, I don't know that I knew it when I started it, but eventually it kind of I kind of realized that like I was writing, like I was kind of like um, cutting up the 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 period of time into like chunks. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so some of them blur together, but you know it's like our first tour of Europe is like a whole chapter in and of itself, you know, and 
Whereas you really could just say like our first three years of touring is all kind of like one big long, you know, story. But I think of them individually. You know what I mean? Like I always remember because you, you, you break up tours. You remember like how old you were, the bands you were on tour with. Each one of those sort of tours is, you know, or events or, or whatever is, is a very like specific moment. And I was trying to remember like what I was thinking, what I was feeling in that particular time, mm -hmm. which is kind of why some of the book is a little hard for me to explain because it's like that there's things in this, in the book that are kind of like, they're not who I am now. They're who I was then. And I was trying to write from that perspective. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, like when we did the four minute mile tour last year, it was weird to go back and like revisit some of those lyrics. Cause you just kind of go like, Oh God, like I'm not like that at all anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it took a bit of discipline to stay in that, in that voice. You know what I mean? Like to stay and to not like, want to self editorialize and be like, well, with hindsight at, you know, in 2023, this is how I feel about that particular situation. I think it reads like if how I felt then maybe a little bit more eloquently just with, you know, 20 plus years more writing experience, mm -hmm. more use, more, <laughs> I can use more, more different words. I have more I have more words for penis yes. now yes. than I did when I was 20. Yes, you did. You do and you will in the future. Uh, I don't know, I think I may have capped out. <laughs> I thought you said you're still writing. <laughs> uh, what about when um I think one part of the process that I actually enjoyed as this was going on was letting someone else read it and edit, right? Mm. And we sent it to Ian um, King. Um, what was that like when you I saw hated it? You hated it? Yeah, I hated it. Uh, not because of Ian. Ian's great. But it just... Uh, so, like, I have a lot of experience now with editing. And when you're doing a song, uh, like, you know, when you're doing an album, you're doing it song by song. And then you're kind of, like, thinking about an album as a whole. But when you're doing a song and you're like, oh, I want to listen back to that thing, you're talking about three minutes of your life, you know, that you have to go back and listen to it. And then when you start getting into editing podcasts and you want to listen to them all the way through, then you're like, okay, this is at least an hour of my life that I have to listen very intent. Because you have to like listen intently, right? Mm -hmm. You know this. And, uh, and so then when you go one step beyond that and you go, oh, this is a how many, I don't know how many, 60 something thousand words in it. And it's just like, okay, you have to read it again and again and again to make sure that like every little, every little comma is correct, you know, or in the case of Ian's thing where he'll just be like, I don't think this makes sense. Or I think this is wrong. <laughs> and I was just like, well, fuck you then. <laughs> you know, like just, but he was coming from that place of, yeah, I told he, you, we both know his like sentiment. Like he's like the nicest human on earth. So like no, him he's saying great. it, no, but him saying it sounds funny because he's like, this is wrong. 
<laughs> and he's like, kind well, of but it's also, it's like, you know, you, you're, when you're telling something in like a chronological yes. order, and, but then you're also kind of, it, it's kind of chronological, but it kind of jumps around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of like, so I don't understand. And he's like, Fagazi played in Kansas City in 1993 is what I found on the internet. And I think you're talking about 1994 here. <laughs> and I don't know if that's the same thing. And I was like, no one's going to do that kind of research to find out <laughs> if my dates are – it's like it's not a fucking, yes. you know, historical fiction. Right. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. But I, I thought that was an interesting exercise because I learned a lot about – like me reading it as a fan and then reading what Ian did and then seeing what happened after and then having the copywriter. It was just, it was kind of beautiful. Yes. We had to keep reading the same things over again, but I just kind of liked, I think it just, it, 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 I just liked that process. It was almost, I mean, in, in the recording studio, it's like the producer or these other people that are a part of it. Um, it just felt, it felt collaborative and I just thought it was, I was really happy about how open you were to kind of a lot of those things, certain things you weren't, I mean, because this is, these are your words. So it's like each word was like something that you had typed out, right? So if it's edited, there are the reasons why. And I just thought it was an interesting thing to watch. Yeah. I mean, it just, it was, uh, I knew it was a good thing to do. And I knew Ian was good at it, and I knew it would make the book better, but I hated doing it. <laughs> Noted. So it's kind of like, I mean, I feel the same way about um, mixing a record, ah. which or mixing and mastering, which is just not an area that I, I just don't have the ears for it or the patience. And uh, I'm glad that I work with people who do, and I trust them, but it's kind of like, Sometimes people are like, okay, here's the new mixes I did. And I'm like, it sounds the same to me. But, <laughs> you know, I will say it's it's different than like when you said it was collaborative. It, it kind of felt, I guess it felt collaborative if I think about it now. At the time, I felt like it's kind of like you hear the stories about like bands turning in a record and the label like saying they need to change a bunch of shit. I've been, which in, I've the, I have, I've been in those meetings. <laughs> I ha So I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so I never, I've never been in that situation. Like even when we did on a wire, like Vagrant was like, okay, this is what you want to do. And, you know, so I've never, all of, all of our, uh, you know, uh, feedback and collaborative process has been like in the actual creating of it, not after it was created. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny about when I sent it to Frank Turner to read, um, for giving a quote early on, he found a typo for us. Mm. And I was like, Frank, you motherfucker, you're on tour. You're reading this at four o'clock in the morning in a, in a, in a bus somewhere. And you found a typo. You're, you're a fucking madman. <laughs> he, he reads a lot. He's a, he's a, he's a voracious reader. Yeah. He was so pumped because we saw him and I was like, you want to read the book? Like, I'm really excited. He's like, oh my God, send it. And then two days later, he's like, here's your quote. Here's, here, here's a typo. Bye. You know, I'm off to Wales or wherever else he was going. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> it was really sweet. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the design? What were some in, inspiration behind it? I know we got, we got some friends, um, Mr. Dubin to help out with some photos. What was the what was the thought around the design and uh i mean i've had that photo so the photo that's on the cover is from i believe it's in 
it's either in Toronto or Montreal on the MXPX tour in 1998. And I've had that photo. Someone like it used to be like people would take photos at shows. And the next time you came through town, they'd hand you an envelope that they had had like, you know, printed at a one hour photo or some, some other antiquated, you know, photography printing place. And they'd just be like, here's all the photos of you. And you'd be like, I don't, I don't want these. Like, I don't need photos of me, but like that picture I always thought was really cool. Cause it's kind of like, I don't know. I just, I always liked it. And I, I really like that guitar and it's just, I've had that photo for forever. And I've always been like, I want to do something with this, but it didn't seem like an appropriate thing to put on like an album cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so given that it was taken during the time that the book takes place, uh, I thought that would, uh, be an appropriate thing to use it for. And then after that, it was just kind of like, I want it to look like a flyer, Mm -hmm. you know? I want it to look like an old school flyer because that's the kind of stuff, uh, you know, that's what, that's what promotion looked like during this time period. <laughs> it was flyer on a, on a pole somewhere or some, you know, vegan, uh, brunch place with a, with a post-it board. We knew this guy in, uh, in Louisville who was part of the whole initial records crew who, got a job at Kinko's just long enough to steal like a thousand Kinko's cards. Like you remember at Kinko's when you used to have to like have a card with like money on it, kind of like what they do at casinos Mm -hmm. (laughs) when you have to like put your, to make sure you don't gamble too much. Uh, And so he got like a bunch of Kinko's cards that each had like a hundred dollars on them. And that was like things you would give to touring bands. So you could like make your own flyers or, your stupid zine or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You know? The, the, the one time you did a zine and never had a second one. Yes. That mm-hmm. would be for the Kenko card. Nice. What other zines are a lot of work. They are a lot of work. I only did, I think I did three of mine in high school and that was it. I was done. Yeah. Um, do you want to tease a couple stories? What are some things that you think, again, not the whole thing or just, you know, some stuff that you would think someone would enjoy cracking this thing open. Well, uh, when I was 11, 12, I don't remember, 11 years old, I went into a coma, into a diabetic coma, and that's how I discovered that I had and still do have type 1 diabetes and have been dealing with that, um, which was part of the jumping off point for the book as far as like that seemed like a – I don't know – any other type one diabetics who took maybe two. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not a very common thing. Like I, I could, I don't know why that is for the longest time. It was just Brett Michaels. Everyone knew about Brett Michaels. And I was like, I don't want to be like Brett Michaels. <laughs> right. Uh, but so, you know, that, that, that story about, going into a coma and, and dealing with that. And then that's sort of the, uh, the jumping off point for my, uh, kind of me against the world sort of attitude about things that, um, I think did me a lot of good early on, but then 
doesn't necessarily serve me that well anymore. When you're saying like, I'm not about that now, did you realize that as you were writing or is it kind of like months later or maybe months after writing it or something like kind of being able to like, did this bring out things that you hadn't thought about as you were writing? Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I think there's things that I knew in the back of my head, but I never like really, uh, like they were subconscious things. Like I was very, very driven. Um, when I was younger, all I, all I really ever wanted to do was be in a band and go on tour. And over the course of the book, you, you see that I, I accomplished that and I, I went everywhere that I wanted to go. And then kind of was at a loss at the end of it of I had only really thought to that point. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'd only really been like, oh, I want to be in a band and I want to go on tour. And then when I did that, I was kind of like, okay, now what? And I had no idea. And um, that's kind of where the book ends. But one of the things that I realized is that my my wife is also as driven and she had a similar kind of arc of that she always wanted to go to school and she was in school and right around the same time that I was having those sort of like uh, now what feelings, she was going through the same thing because she graduated from uh, from college. I don't know. It's just sort of an interesting kind of like I felt very sure of who I was at that age and <clears throat> Then I established who I was, and as I was kind of slowly growing up, I think I was a little bit lost, or a lot of bit lost. And so writing that, you kind of had that feeling again. Well, just kind of really recognizing it, that like I... I uh, well, to be completely honest, it kind of fucked me up a little bit, Um and I, you know, I, I, so I, I ultimately got to the point where I, you know, I, I am eight months sober as of right now. Congratulations. And part of, thank you. Part of the thing that sent me down into the darkness that was the rock bottom that I, that got me sober was writing this book. <laughs> and so uh, and then sort of realizing that I really knew who I was at one point in my life and I wasn't entirely sure who I was now. And so that kind of sent me into a bit of a tailspin. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, so it, it's, it's good and it's bad. It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's cathartic, but it was also a very difficult, uh, process to go through to kind of make peace with that. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember you writing all that stuff and then saying like, trash it, I'm done. Forget it. Yeah. Was that during that time where it was like, you'd kind of been going through that? No, if, I think it was when I, I think it was when I, that was the imposter syndrome. That was this, the imposter. Th yeah. That, this was more like when I finished it and I was actually like, you know, sort of like self-analyzing and just kind of going like, Oh, like all of these stories are about someone who knew exactly who they were and what they wanted. And then at the end of the story, it's like, okay, I accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish and I don't know what to do with myself now. And then I was kind of going through some other things in life. Um, where I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And you know, 
So I drank on it and, you know, that led me to the hospital and which is funny because that's not funny, but it's like the book starts with me in the hospital. And then after the book ends, I ended up in the hospital again. Right. Oh, after writing the book or finishing Mm it. Wow. So it it's feeling like, I guess you said earlier, having it be like good and bad, like being able to open up these things in this way um, definitely was painful, but in the end, it feels like it helped you come out on the other side. Like you got to get it out. Well, make doing it wasn't painful. It was, it was after it was after, done. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of like, which is why at least partially why the editing of it after the fact was so difficult for me is because it was like, you know, I was writing this book when I was still drinking and then I was sober when I was editing it. And it's just kind of like, you know, at the same time of like trying to stay in that voice of someone who's 22 years old, I'm also trying to stay in that voice of someone of the person who was writing it, who is different than the person that I am now. So it sounds more schizophrenic when you explain it like that, but it is sort of like, you know, there's a, there's a bit of it. There's some of it, stuff that I took out that I was just like, I can just, I don't, I don't think like that anymore. You know what I mean? Like I just, I kind of, it's difficult. Um, there's this thing in recovery where you're like, you know, you don't, uh, hide from your past. You know, you, you accept the things that you, you did wrong. And, uh, it's just an interesting phenomenon to then be like, Oh yeah, I wrote all those down. (laughs) <laughs> and, wow. I'm, and I'm publishing and I'm publishing them. Although I'm writing them. It's not, it's not that I did anything wrong in the book. It's that I was writing it during a time when I, I wasn't very healthy. You know what I mean? Right. And then having to edit those words when you were past that point. Yeah. It would have been better for me just to like not ever read the book again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You're going to have to do that. Unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I really, I, just to put a pin on it, I really liked that that self analyzing, being able to sort of see that and then have it help yourself, like help, like being uh, able event- to eventually, yeah. eventually. Yeah. It had to get, it had to get worse before it got better, but it's gotten better. So, and now I can, I can feel honestly, probably more objective, uh, in retelling the stories from the book, um, because I'm way more clear headed than I was when I wrote it. So, um, that's not to say that it's all a drunken blur of a book. Cause I don't think that it is, but, uh, just, you know, uh, it's this, it's sort of the same way I feel about, um, our first record in that, like, even when we made it, I didn't like it, you know, <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. like, but it is what it is. And it's, it's honest and even if it makes me uncomfortable, you know, it's still an honest thing. And that's, I think that that's a positive overall. I just, I don't want to read it any more than I have to. Understood. I'll tell, I'll tell the stories again, but. I'm just glad it's down on paper. <laughs> I, it's, it is. I just think it's, it that you had this motivation to do it and it happened and a lot of people don't. Um, so I thank Frank and everyone else that kind of pushed you. Um, what do you want people to take away from the book? Hmm. 
I don't know. I've never thought about it like that before because I only kind of in the same way that I make records is that I'm, I, I really only made it for myself. So again, I kind of don't care if anybody takes anything away from the book. Um, I hope people like it. Uh, if they don't, that's fine too. Uh, you know, I, I, I got, and I get what I needed out of it, which was, you know, to tell the stories I wanted to tell. And then ultimately to like, it kind of ended up being a, a, a pseudo therapy thing for me. Um, and if that's something that's interesting to you as a reader, then that's cool. I don't know. It's kind of this, this thing, and this has served me well sometimes and serve and not other times of that. I always just kind of operate into the, and I think the band does this too, of just like, I write things that I like. And if you like the things that I like, then by the transitive property, you would like the things that I make. Does that make sense? Yes. I remember you mentioning that at the last um, living room show. Yeah. And it, it's just kind of, it's, it's sort of a, eventually I'll come up with a really clever way to make it into a mantra, but it's just sort of, uh, it's just this concept of like, I, I do it for myself first. And if you like it, great. And I appreciate that you like it. But I, I also kind of need to do that as a self-preservation thing, because otherwise you can get real bent out of shape when people don't like stuff. Right. And, you know, it's sometimes it's just not for them. And maybe a book about a diabetic in an emo band in the 90s isn't for everybody. And that's fine. Right. I hope, you know what I do hope? Actually, if I have a takeaway, I hope that people would actually like give it more of a chance than um, just saying, oh, it's an emo memoir, because I don't think that that's what it is. Um, I just I, I just hope it doesn't get like written off in that. Not that that's really like a genre of book. <laughs> you know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like there's a there's a, maybe a, a couple, but uh, it just seems like. I, I just remember like someone talking about how like, you know, publishers aren't looking for emo memoirs. And I'm just like, what's an emo memoir? I just wrote a book about myself. Like, right. It is interesting to know that, you know, that sort of the, like the marketing angle of it. And that's what I really liked. I mean, it, I, I believe when I got the first draft, not when you were sending me the individual stories, but when I got the first draft and that first ch app chapter came out and you talked about being 11 and my jaw dropped, I'm like, I had no fucking idea, mm -hmm. you know? And it's sort of like, okay, it kind of like got really serious quickly. And I liked that because I think sometimes, um, you need that. And I just, I really liked that sentiment around it. And I, I, again, I know the word memoir gets thrown around and stuff like, I just feel like these are just like you said at the beginning, you're a storyteller, you have ch chapters of songs, like songs or chapters. And these are chapters from 1990 to 2000 around this music and your life, regardless mm -hmm. of genre, regardless of anything. This is what you were fucking dealing with. Uh, I mean, that's the intent. Yeah. I just, I, and I think that that's what it accomplishes. I just, I hope. And you can't, you know, this is something I've learned over many years. You don't really have any control over how things get spun. You know what I mean? Right. And so it'll just be like, I just, I just remember we, uh, so Pitchfork has never given us a good review ever. And, uh, I just remember when we put out 
uh, I don't remember if it was kicker or problems that they were just like jumping on the adult emo bandwagon. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, it's just like, it's not like you're just making up, you're making up fads for us to jump onto that don't exist. And so like in the back of my head, I can hear like jumping on the emo memoir bandwagon. And I'm like, that's definitely not a thing. It's definitely not a thing. And yeah, well, that'll be a till now. Yeah, I, I, I have to turn <laughs> off the mic for that. But yes, um, I, I do. I do agree that there's there. Someone needs to find an angle. Someone has a deadline. Someone needs to make a catchy thing for someone to click on. I think this being something as we. I remember when we first talked about this. I wanted this to be something that you could just have with you forever. Mm-hmm. You have this with you as a thing on the merch table or online and someone finds out about you, they have another way to experience the music and the experience you. And I just think this is such a rad way to do it. And, um, that's, that was my whole thing. It's like, this is longevity. This is not today, tomorrow, next year. Like I just want this thing in print and people can experience it. I feel like those articles or the things in pitchfork it's, or anything, it's just, they got to get a click. Yeah, no, I I know that. Yeah. I just I, I it's frustrating. Well, it's frustrating if you let it bother you, it, and I don't. I just I I hope that people will be more um, articulate than that, and that they will uh, at least give the book a chance. And if they want to be like this, reads like a pile of garbage, then that's one thing. <laughs> that's one thing. Um, I was going to ask you a few more questions. What are you excited about doing with this book? that you don't get to do with music? Like when you're promoting music, like what are you kind of excited about? I have an idea, but I wanted to ask you. What's your idea? I don't know. That, I haven't that, thought that of you get to do something in a city in a different venue. Oh yeah. Well, that's something I've been talking about for a minute anyway, uh, with the whole sobriety thing too, of just like, A, it's like, I don't really like performing in bars unless I absolutely have to. Sometimes I, most of the time I absolutely have to, but it's not fun for me. Um, and what's more is that when you're playing like a singer songwriter, just one person in an acoustic guitar thing, a bar is not the right setting for it. Yes. Um, and so like doing those, you know, the, the house show that you saw that was in the brewery, wasn't really the right space, no. but I felt everyone was respectful and cool, but you're right. Yeah, it was yeah, a- it was cool. It felt more like an in store yes. than a than a house show, and the 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 house shows that I did where they were like in people's backyards, those were what an acoustic show should be. Where it just and so like I we're talking now about like where to do this and kind of to do like a like a storyteller sort of sort of thing where it's just like uh, you know telling stories as much as singing songs, which I kind of do anyway, mm-hmm. uh, when I, when I perform by myself, but like maybe having it have a bit more structure than just sort of like whatever random story pops into my head. And, uh, but yeah, like to maybe have it in like a place that's seated, you know what I mean? Cause it's just like, like that tour that we just did that rejects tour. There were a couple of times where it was like, we pull, we, you know, we were the first band on and we're playing in an amphitheater and it's like seats all the way up to the stage and get up kids are not a seated sort of band. You know what I mean? Like it's just, right. it's not, it's not like watching an orchestra, you know, like it's, it's a rock show, but me performing acoustic by myself is sort of a, um, you know, does work in a, in like a, in a, you know, more quiet, polite environment. And, uh, so, you know, we're kind of looking into, into places like that. 
would would be would be nice. I I I honestly I don't I don't really need to go play acoustic guitar in a in a dive bar ever again. <laughs> right, but I also think too like you talking about like what are those spaces that are, is that and then also like being able to play at a bookstore which is inherently or like a library is already inherently quiet. So mm-hmm. it's that kind of I thought that's an interesting way um to help um I don't know, I just thought that was more fun of like oh wow, like there can be an event in a bookstore or a space like a like maybe an art space that's f- different vibe, right? That's more open. Versus, I mean, like you said, the, the Dirty Rock Club, which is fine. You know, like, it, at the time that this book takes place, the beginning of it, when I first started touring, everything was an adventure because you're playing a lot of basements and living rooms and then, you know, the occasional club or a squat or something like that. And everything was new and everything was an adventure. And then eventually when you get to the point where you're, you know, you're you're just – in bigger clubs or theaters or, or, and so on and so forth. Like it's, it gets kind of redundant. Like it's not bad. It's just sort of the same thing every day. And I think, uh, I'm always looking and I think the band is too, actually, whenever we can make it work, like financially speaking, uh, to like play fun. Like, it's just like, Oh, that would be a fun place to play, you know? Like playing at Pappy and Harriet's or something That's like that. That's the thing like I was we, just thinking about. That would we, be the we, place. We did that like, I don't know, 15 years ago. And it was so fun. It's just like those are the kind of places that I like I like doing where it's just sort of like something different, you know? Which I hopefully this, to having this book out, will be able to let you do. Maybe. What are some of some of your favorite books? Uh, I'm a really big Vonnegut fan. Uh, Cat's Cradle is probably one of my... If not my favorite book, one of my favorite books. Um, I I I, <laughs> I don't know. I like Chuck Palnook or mm-hmm. however the hell you say his last name. Uh, <laughs> you know, my I used to say my favorite book was The Godfather, um, but that just feels sort of like cliche now. Um, I just what I like I like about memoirs in particular is just sort of like. I think in the same way with like podcasts, it's like everybody has a story, you know, even someone that you may not think is that interesting. You'll, you'll find out that they're, you know, uh, had this like past life that, you know, nobody knew about. And, uh, you know, every, everybody's got something to say. This is sort of the same thing, but even like kind of more so about like when people ask you about a record and sometimes you just kind of go like, I, I don't know. I just like it, you know? <laughs> even when you've like put a lot of thought into it and like the thing I've, I've been thinking about a lot lately, like no one ever asked me about like what my, like my lyrics can be kind of cryptic and I, no one really ever asked me what they're about. And I'm always, I'd be way open to talking about whatever that was, but like none of this stuff in this book is cryptic. So I'm trying to think if there's anything that like would be misinterpreted <laughs> in it that I would want to explain. But uh, I don't think that there is. I think it's all pretty straightforward, even though um, it, it's hard for me to read sometimes because some of it is just not how I feel as a 46-year-old. But, uh, you know, it's honest to the person who who lived it at the time, I think, if as much as you can be honest with your 20-year-old self. Here's to all of us, secret double.